0: Welcome in to News and Views with Tom Lamprecht. The stories you've heard and the ones you need to hear. Hurricane Ian. This is the storm we have all feared. Floridians up and down the Gulf Coast should feel the impacts of this. The projected storm surge is significant. And we have impact. A spacecraft from NASA ramming into an asteroid. The first planetary defense test mission. I have to explain why they'd rather shut the government down.
1: Enact a short-term funding bill by the Friday deadline.
0: Your life, your values, your voice. This is News and Views with Tom Lamprecht on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. All right. Welcome in. News and Views for a Tuesday. Lots to talk about. That was Joe Manchin talking about why they would rather shut the government down. And uh, there's uh, 56 Republicans that would rather shut the government down than sign on to the continuing resolution. And I say bravo to them. (laughs) Look you know we, we we hear this song and dance every time every year it comes up they cannot balance the budget they have no desire to balance the budget and they get the they get the American people over a barrel and they say if you don't pass this continuing resolution oh all kinds of dire things are going to happen every every time they if, if if there is a government shutdown it ends up being a vacation for all the federal workers they always get their back pay get into that a little bit more uh ron desantis has announced that uh, more than two million people in his state are under evacuation orders during a press conference earlier today desantis shared the update that urged floridians to take necessary precautions as ian could strike the gulf coast as a category four there's still uncertainty about where the exact landfall will be we just understand the impacts are going to be far, far broader than just the eye of the storm. 24 counties across Florida have announced school closures. More to come. As of Tuesday morning, mandatory evacuation orders have been announced for eight Gulf Coast counties. That area includes parts of the Tampa area, the largest city in the announced counties, along with other highly populated areas along the coast. DeSantis also announced that 5,000 members of the Florida National Guard have been activated. An additional 2,000 National Guard members from other states are on standby if needed. Interestingly, uh, cousin Eddie Joe Biden has not made a call to DeSantis. Now, he has called a number of mayors, excuse me, a number of mayors down in Florida that happened to all be Democrat mayors, but uh, no call to DeSantis. White House couldn't really explain why. What it's, happened? Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I think we all know why. Yeah, yeah, they're even politicizing nas- n- national disasters. Uh, speaking of Hurricane Ian, East Carolina's road trip to South Florida this Saturday, which was supposed to have taken place in the uh, Tampa area, is uh, now been moved further south to Boca Raton. It will be played at the game Between South Florida and ECU will be played at Atlantic, um, Florida Atlantic University Stadium. Um, It will uh, it it was supposed to have taken place at Raymond James Stadium in Tampa, due to Eon that has been moved down to uh, the other field, down in South Florida. The game time has also been changed to two thirty in the afternoon, and it will be televised on ESPN Plus. Janet Yellen. The um, Treasury Secretary, Janet Yellen, she was over in Chapel Hill today. I'm sure she was right at home over there. She warned of an economic calamity if climate change is not addressed with immediate government intervention. (laughs) By the way, uh, uh, this this is not a joke. You can go look it up. It was exactly one year ago tomorrow that Janet Yellen said almost the exact same thing, only it was about the continuing resolution. It was a year ago that Janet Yellen said, if Congress doesn't raise the debt ceiling by the deadline, it would be a calamity. Today, she said, if we do not take care of climate change, it will be a calamity. In other words, whatever the Democrats want, if you don't give it to them, it will be a calamity. Yellen was joined by local business owners and prominent Democrats from North Carolina. Yellen said the increasing frequency and severity, by the way, she was not joined by Cherry Beasley. Uh, Beasley has not shown up with uh, any, uh, any Democrats uh, from the Biden administration. I wonder why that is. I wonder why Beasley doesn't want to associate with anybody from the Biden administration. When Biden was out here, she was nowhere to be found. When uh, the Veep was down here, she was nowhere to be found. Janet Yellen is here. There have been several others, and she she somehow thinks that the Biden administration is toxic, including Janet Yellen. Um, Anyway, Yellen said that the increasing frequency and severity of national disasters could create devastating short-term supply reductions— of everyday goods that could cause prices to skyrocket. Well, Janet, Joe Biden's already done that. <laughs> I mean, we, we don't need climate change to do that. Joe's already taken care of that. Supply chain disruptions, like those experienced on a global scale during COVID-19 pandemic, could soon become commonplace, she said, during the visit to Cypress Creek Renewables, the solar farm in Chapel Hill. And Joe, Joe's done that too. I mean, Joe's had prices skyrocket, and he's had the supply chain screwed up. So, I mean, we, you know, Joe's taking care of all that. Here in North Carolina, you remember well the devastating toll of Hurricane Florence, he said. That disaster killed 22 Americans. It led to $24 billion in damage and left a million North Carolinians without power, Yellen said. As North Carolina's gearing up for several tight races in November, Yellen pitched the benefits of Democrats' new climate, health, and tax law the so-called Reduction Act, at least she's honest about that. At least she didn't call it an Inflation Reduction Act. At least she called it a climate bill. That will spend $375 billion over the next decade on climate-related investments. So this is Obama 2.0. Do you remember Solyndra? Do you remember how we we would have been better off if we had taken that $8 billion and just gotten everybody together and said, hey, you know what? We're going to have a bonfire, but it's all. We're going to burn money. We're going to burn eight billion dollars. We're going to televise it. We probably, you know, we would have had more economic uh, bolstering if we had done that than give it to Salinger. And the same thing is going to happen again here. By the way, are there people out there that are still eating up this slop? I mean, I'm not talking about the people that are benefiting from this. I mean, I understand that the the oligarchs are out there. You know, they're lining their pockets just the same way they do in Russia, the same way they do in China. They're making all kinds of bucks off this. But, I mean, the average voter out there, are they buying the slop? Combined with last year's infrastructure law, the investments total more than $430 billion. The money will be spent on everything from providing tax credits to purchasers of qualifying electric vehicles to constructing clean manufacturing facilities. Yellen said, spending will be particularly impactful in non-coastal communities that have suffered from the disinvestment. (laughs) What does that mean? These liberals love word salads, don't they? Non-coastal communities that have suffered from disinvestment. Some North Carolinians who lost their homes in Florence in 2018 and Hurricane Matthew in 2016 are still waiting on repairs or permanent housing accommodations due in large part to supply and labor shortages brought by, brought on by the pandemic, according to the state's Disaster Recovery Agency. And yeah, that's what they say. We just talked about this last week. No, it is not what they say. Listen, South Carolina, just one state to our south. I mean, they are eons ahead of North Carolina in replacing homes that have been damaged. We talked about this last week. I mean, they are are pretty much right where they should be at this point. North Carolina is nowhere close. I mean, we are years behind. We're years behind where we should be. We're years behind South Carolina. So it's not a labor shortage. It's not a supply shortage. It is a competence shortage in the Cooper administration. Again, Yellen is the third uh, Biden, what what do we call them, (laughs) A, a Biden yuppie to come to North Carolina in recent weeks. Do they think they're actually helping the cause? I mean, you know they're down here because they look at North Carolina as a bellwether state. And yet the person running as a Democrat for the U.S. Senate doesn't want to be seen with any of them. The Republican National Committee called Yellen's trip to North Carolina ironic, accusing her of touting so-called solutions to economic problems that she and Biden created. <laughs> Bingo. But isn't that always the way? Isn't that always the way? The, the libs come in, they create these disasters, and then they say, well, we're here to help you. We're the government, and we're going to solve the problem. Don't you worry. Yellen, for her part, said the persistent frequent shocks— caused by climate change, will put greater strains on the national budget if unaddressed. State and local governments may increasingly be forced to devote scarce resources to disaster mitigation, potentially at the expense of investments in areas like education and worker training, she said. You know why? You know why there will be these scarce resources? Because People like Joe Biden are wasting the resources. People like Janet Yellen are wasting the resources. I mean, it's the truth. When the Republicans finally got control of the state legislature and when Pat McCrory was governor, one of the first things they had to do was go in and replenish the rainy day fund. Why? Because Governor Dumpling and the Democrats spent it all. It was all gone. There was nothing there. They spent it all. In fact, they not only spent all the rainy day fund, but they went in there and, and and borrowed up to the hilt for the unemployment fund to the point where those of us who owns our own, owned our own business for several years there, our unemployment insurance went through the roof until it was all paid back to the federal government. And, you know, again, it's like good parent, bad parent. So the Republicans get in there. And they have to inflict some pain on the businesses. Why? Not because they wanted to, but they had to make things right for the irresponsible Democrats. And the same thing is happening on the federal level. I mean, right now, if there was a disaster, what would we do? Because we have no strategic oil reserves left. Joe Biden is depleting them all. Why? To make himself, make his political self look better, trying to raise his stature in Americans' eyes, by lowering the gas price, which it didn't do much to lower it. It lowered it just a tad. But you, you don't do that. You don't spend your emergency funds on things like making myself look better in the public's eyes when it comes to my political career. But that's exactly – I mean, this is such an irony that she would say this. They're not setting aside any funds for an emergency – and then the giving away money as fast as they can we're, were borrowed up to the eyeballs. If we truly had an emergency, I mean, if the wheel and, and they very well could fall off any day. I hope they don't. I'm, I'm really not trying to be a doomsdayer. But I mean, we are so much in debt. It makes your head spin. And And the resources we would have depended on. Again, if there was a dire emergency, I mean, look. Right now, you've got this hurricane that's coming north, so it's not going to affect the uh, oil rigs that much in the Gulf. But, you know, the, the next hurricane could. What are we going to do, Joe? Because you've, you've, you've spent it all. Talk about irresponsible. And, and then she has the chutzpah to come in and say, well, we really need to spend more on climate change. Instead of saying we ought to save some for, for an emergency So when that emergency comes, but no, she comes and she tries to sell the idea that if you just buy into our policies, we'll do away with any natural disasters because we're going to do away with climate change. What a load of crap. Pardon my bluntness, but it's the truth. I mean, it is just garbage. And who buys this slop? I mean, are there people out there that still buy it? Unfortunately, yeah, there are. (laughs) <laughs> there are people out there who would look at me and say, Lamprock, you're nuts. So be it. Tom Tillis said, President Biden's answer to all of our problem has been to spend more money we don't have on far-left priorities like green energy welfare, which will only make inflation even worse for North Carolinians. Isn't it the irony of ironies? Well said, Tom. I mean, I, I give you a hard time a lot of times, but that's well said but isn't it the irony of ironies that he he has a green energy welfare program that he's giving money, just like biden just like obama did biden's doing handing money out to all his buddies who will then turn around and give it to the democrats who are running for office but they it it's it's this green energy welfare program and he has the hutzpah He has the chutzpah to come in and lie about it, calling it, you know, the Inflation Reduction Act. Unbelievable. Hey, we're going to take a time out. Lots more to talk about. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Let's go, Brandon. Let's go, Brandon. When we are not covering Brandon's heroics. This, uh, Brandon, he... What does he play? Well, Mr. President, they're not. Um. Folks, let's hear it for Brandon. What a job he's doing. Let's go, Brandon. Now back to news and let's news go. 1963 on and 1037. Welcome back again. It's September 27th, 2022. 58 years ago, the Warren Commission was releasing their. Uh, Findings that uh, it concluded that there was no conspiracy in the JFK assassination. Lee Harvey Oswald acted alone. That settled things, right? There's no controversy since then. (laughs) Yeah, that hardly settled it at all. It is National Chocolate Milk Day. I'll drink to that. Taking a look at your weather forecast, partly cloudy skies will give way to cloudy skies late. A low of 50 degrees tonight. It's going to cool down. Tomorrow, a uh, mostly cloudy day with a high of 73, cloudy tomorrow night with a low of 54. And then uh, Ian starts to uh, show up on Thursday, a 40% chance of rain. As we get later in the week, that chance of rain jumps up to about 80% on Friday, 94%. Who comes up with 94% on on Saturday and about 80% on Sunday? So uh, get ready for some wet weather all the way through next Monday. So uh, if uh, if the ponds are empty, they'll be full come uh, next week. Whether brought to you by our friends at the Ironwood Golf and Country Club. Whether you're looking to spin your fall courtside or greenside, Ironwood Golf and Country Club offers a variety of memberships tailored to fit your lifestyle with no initiation fee required. And listen, if you're going to head down to the beach this fall, pack your clubs because Ironwood members receive reciprocal golf and dining privileges at the Beaufort Club in Beaufort and Compass Point Golf Club and Magnolia Greens located near Wilmington. For more information, contact Membership Director Jenna Doyle. Her number is 252-752-4653. Join in the fun at Ironwood today. And uh, the fall, well, this weekend's not going to be ideal, but the fall overall is ideal for golf. So if you're a golfer, call up uh, Jenna. She'll take care of you. The first lawsuit is in. The Washington Examiner is reporting that uh, Biden's plan to forgive literally hundreds of billions of dollars, anywhere from $400 billion to $600 billion, depending on what mood you're in. Um, they have received their first lawsuit. It's from the Pacific Legal Foundation. It's a libertarian group. And uh, they actually found an individual by the name of Frank Garrison. He's an employee of the Pacific Legal Foundation. He lives in Indiana, which is one of six states that uh, tax this kind of cancellation. So uh, in in essence, he's going to owe $1,000 over this lawsuit or or over this uh, forgiveness. And uh, so he he does have the right to say this is going to harm me. Uh, Beyond the Pacific Legal Foundation's lawsuit on behalf of Frank Garrison, there are others that are getting ready to uh, hit the fan as well. And the, the biggest issue and one of the issues that the Frank Garrison lawsuit is going to bring up is the fact that Joe Biden just does not have the legal standing to do this. I mean, this is by far the most expensive executive order in the history of executive orders, and he has no right, he has no authority to uh, forgive this. I mean, basically, he's he's done this via a, a press release saying, "I'm doing it," and we're all supposed to fall in line and say, "Isn't this wonderful?" Interesting story out related to a new book that's coming out. The name of the book, which is coming out on October the 18th, is Unchecked, the Untold Story Behind Congress's Botched Impeachments of Donald Trump. It's co-authored by Rachel Bade of Politico and uh, from the Washington Post, Karan de Mergini. And uh, what's interesting about this book is it basically – goes into great detail pitting jerry nadler against adam schiff and house speaker nancy pelosi in october of 2019 natalie took nadler i should say not natalie nadler took issue with how schiff was tapped by pelosi to lead the impeachment efforts and he felt like he was getting the short end of the stick Worried about the situation and the likelihood that his Judiciary Committee would not be able to cross-examine witnesses as the committee had done traditionally, Nadler confronted Schiff about the plan process and, according to the book, said, it's unfair, it's unprecedented, and it's unconstitutional. And, by the way, throughout this book, you know, and again, we're assuming this book is accurate or at least close to being accurate – he constantly comes back with the theme is what you are doing here is unconstitutional. And again, this is Jerry Nadler, the Democrat from New York, to which Schiff responded, I don't appreciate your tone. I worry you're putting us in a box for our investigation. You know, Adam Schiff, we, we know he is, you know, slimy as the day is long. But he he was, I mean, this is, again, I'm I'm a a big if here. If this book is accurate, if these comments are accurate, he's more worried about his investigation than he was about breaking the law. And again, who needs to be impeached? Maybe Adam Schiff does. Sidelined by Pelosi to handle impeachment proceedings in the House, the book claims Nadler made an effort to get back into Pelosi's good graces, and that his aides sucked up to her staff relentlessly in an attempt to show that his panel was prepared to step in and assist. Nadler's frustration with the pair of Democrats grew. Research conducted by his team proved that the presidents facing impeachment from Congress have been allowed to defend themselves before the House Judiciary Committee with attorneys for the presidents. These these are past uh, impeachments, Nixon and, and Johnson That the president had the opportunity to attend the hearings as well as cross-examine testifying witnesses or call their own. That did not matter to Schiff. And the fact that Trump would not be able to face his accusers before being impeached did not sit right with Nadler, who warned Pelosi and Schiff of the ramifications that it would have in the long run. If we're going to impeach, we need to show the country that we gave the uh, president ample opportunity to defend himself, Nadler told them, according to the book. The book noted that Pelosi uh, Pelosi and Schiff were concerned with what Trump's attorneys would say at the hearings, worrying that it could upend the Democratic messaging ahead of the 2020 presidential elections. Bingo! (laughs) That, That was pretty evident that anybody was on the Republican side. Nadler's staff made attempts to clarify that Trump's impeachment needed to look more like Nixon, but Schiff's team stood opposed. They said, F Donald Trump. Tensions among the teams for Nadler and Schiff continued to rise as impeachment efforts ramped up and Schiff's team made it clear that they did not take Nadler seriously. Nadler's team reportedly griped in private over Schiff's handling of the process, calling him a control freak who wanted to lead the process for as long as he could, the book claims. The book says tensions among both teams reached a breaking point when Schiff sent Nadler a draft of the resolution laying out the rules for impeachment, which ignored his concerns about due process for the president. These lawless House Permanent Select Committee intelligent bees, (laughs) rhymes with witches, One judiciary said. Another claimed, it's dumb, it's illegal. Nadler and Schiff met once more about the resolution. With their disagreement growing deeper as Nadler amplified his concerns about Schiff's plans to handle things, the authors claim. They're going to argue we don't have the due process for Trump. Why make this argument real? Nadler asked Schiff. I write my rules of my committee, not you, Nadler added. I resent you telling me how to run my committee. I don't really care about your resentment, Schiff Schiff quipped neither the speaker nor I agree with you. Pelosi's involvement in the matter, as highlighted in the book, was one of the making of the impeachment against Donald Trump, a national security issue. Quote, we need to make this case more strongly that it is a national security issue, Pelosi told her team, according to the book. 80% plus say it's not okay for the president to ask for foreign assistance in an election, despite Trump asserting that he can do it. I just think we need to make this case to rural voters, evangelicals, and Republicans. I got news for you, Nancy. They ain't no evangelicals and rural voters and Republicans. That are going to believe you as far as the day is long. Regarding the GOP's outspoken criticism that Trump was not being treated fairly during the impeachment process, the book says Pelosi urged her team not to acknowledge their claims. Let's not give them any attention," she said. According to the book, in addition, Pelosi claimed Democrats are giving Trump more rights than the Democrats had under the Clinton in- impeachment. I don't think so, but you know this is this is so typical of the, these left-wing radicals, and they have they have the the chutzpah to, to look at MAGA Republicans and saying they're destroying our democracy. <laughs> That's exactly what they are doing. It, it is interesting how. When they do these kind of things, they deflect all the accusations upon their political opponents. Everything that they claim the Republicans are doing, they are doing. And the rule of law be damned. We're just going to go ahead and do what we please. And you better get out of our way. It's just that simple. I will do anything. You will. And so will Adam Schiff. What a pair. What a pair. Hey, we're going to take another time out. we come back, we're going to be joined by uh, someone who's running for the North Carolina State Senate. Karen Kozel will be with us. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Back to News and Views. Talk 96.3 and 103.7. All right. Welcome back in. News and Views for a Tuesday. Karen Kozel, the Republican candidate running for North Carolina's 5th State Senate District. That covers both Edgecombe and Pitt County. She's in studio with us. Karen, welcome in. Thank you. You were here a couple of years ago doing the same thing.
1: (laughs) Yes, I was.
0: At the time, you were running against an incumbent, Don Davis. Don Davis is now running in the 1st Congressional District for the seat that was held by G.K. Butterfield. And uh, so you do not have to run it against against an incumbent, which makes the playing field a little more level. I would say, too, that uh, while a Republican running in eastern North Carolina, unless it's really well-suited for a Republican, it's an uphill challenge. But I would also say that with everything that's going on in the country and in the state right now, it probably is a good time to be running as a Republican.
1: I would agree with that, (laughs) definitely.
0: When you and I were sort of trading notes over the phone, um, you know, I said, okay, uh, you know, give, give me some, some, uh, thoughts that you think are important. And, uh, the, the thing at the top of your list was, uh, you said, you know, that, that the real, the real issue that people are feeling the most is inflation and related to that, the, the cost of having so many illegal immigrants into our country and also the cost of Joe Biden's, uh, uh, energy policy, closing the Keystone pipeline and you know a, a number of other things he's done. and I, I agree with you that those are are, are interesting and and uh, they're the issues that people feel when they go to the voting booth and right. you know they're impactful. But how does the state senator address those issues?
1: Well, I think we need to go back and uh, open up the Keystone pipeline even though I'm only in the North Carolina Senate. I do think that we have some impact and that I think that is going to be a huge issue for our state as well. Our gas prices are super high. They're going down a little bit for the election time. But in December, they're going to be right back up.
0: Probably in the second week of November. Yeah,
1: we're, <laughs> we're at 9 percent inflation, just like the rest of the country. We were one and a half when Biden began his uh, time in office. And I think that we need to address that. As a state senate, we can, we can hit some of those taxes. And uh, people don't know that the country only has a few powers. We pay a lot of taxes for the only seven or eight powers that they actually have in the Constitution. And I think if we can delineate what those powers are, separate us, and go back to United States and I think our taxes would go down, and I think we'd have a lot more rights as states. And inflation is impacted by that cost.
0: You also said education reform was important to you. Yes. How, how would you reform education?
1: Well, I think we need to have vouchers. I think if you want to pick a private school or you pick a public school, which public school would you like to go to? I think there should be a, a numeral voucher for everybody you want to homeschool, you also get a voucher.
0: Sim- similar to what they did in Arizona. That's exactly yeah, what yeah. I think.
1: I agree with that wholeheartedly. I've I th- taught I th- public school.
0: I think, uh, if I'm not mistaken, in fact, I'm going to have Keith Kidwell on tomorrow to talk about some of these issues. I think Keith was working on a uh, piece of legislation along those lines. Yeah. He, he was. Have you yeah. talked to him about that?
1: Well, we have previously, yes, okay. at length. Because uh, it's important. Yeah. It's important. Um, and the parental rights within education. We have found pornography in our school system. And there's a huge group that meets once a month, just parents, about what's going on. And this particular incident is a child coming home and saying, you know, can you read this to me? And he goes to the library and couldn't believe what was in a middle school library and petitioned, of course, the Board of Education and they no longer can teach it, but it doesn't leave the library. And I also think we need to bring in voced. I think we need a vocational education in every high school again. So, when a child who does not want to go to college, or maybe can't afford it, whatever the reason is, and they want to work, they have two years of voced, and they can shadow and get a license as they graduate from high school. And I think that is very important. Who knows where to find a plumber or a construction worker? They're hard to find. All right. And I think going back to that situation is a good idea.
0: How's the campaign going?
1: Well, last time I was campaigning during COVID. <laughs> People barely opening the doors. What? You know. And um, this is a totally different situation. Uh, it's going well. It's going well. I'm asked to speak at a lot of different places. And, um Yeah. It is going very well. I'm enjoying it.
0: Well, good. Yeah. Good. Got a
1: great team. Very, very
0: helpful. What would be the first thing that you would do if you were elected, if you win this uh, election? What would be how, – how would you jump in, roll up your sleeves, and get involved and begin to implement some of these things that you're talking about?
1: Well, I have I've been in the House of Representatives. Right. That's right. So, you were. Yeah. And yeah. in Kinston, when I lived in Kinston. And um, – I think I'd bring up the issue with the inflation first and with the education second you know I think we also need to know our rights as a state and I think people don't know that when somebody makes executive decisions that the government, the House of Representatives can say no you can't we're not going with that executive decision so I think we need to uh, we have a governor that's very um, opinionated and liberal mm-hmm. and I think that I would team together with those who are like-minded in education and what we want for our kids in schools and and stand firm
0: How can people get involved in your campaign?
1: Well, they can go to my website Karen com and there's every area i need people to put flyers on mailboxes and uh, your delightful wife is doing that for me now and uh, i need people to go and um, have fundraisers it's an expensive job to have to run for office it's
0: a lot of money to get in but once you get in there's no money there. there
1: is none (laughs) there is no money but um, you got to do it because you feel like it's the right thing right. to do. Right. And, and I do. I do.
0: When were you in the – you, you were appointed to the house last I time. I was. Right. I
1: was. I took somebody's place. Okay. Was, you
0: got in some trouble. Got huh? in a little yeah. trouble. Yeah. Yeah, and that yeah. was 2013.
1: Okay. 2012-13. to 13. So it hadn't been that long ago.
0: No. Oh, no okay. It hasn't. Okay. All right. So, well, again, that's uh, com. And uh, if you want to have Karen come out and speak to your group or you'd like to get involved in her campaign, go to her website. Thanks for stopping by.
1: You bet. Thank you for having me. Stay with us.
0: I'll be right back. (laughs) Ride and shotgun with your 5 o'clock drive. The drive home should be a delight. This is Tom Lamprecht with more news and views on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. Welcome back in. So uh, Chris Wallace, who used to do the uh, Sunday morning program on Fox News, He's got a new show on CNN. It debuted on Sunday. The name of the show is Who's Talking to Chris Wallace? Also, I want to add that they threw it up on HBO Max, too, because I can't stand looking at it every time I I load it up. Who's Talking to Chris Wallace? Uh, They probably need to change the name of the program to Is Anyone Listening to Chris Wallace? (laughs) According to the New York Post, Wallace's show had... 400,000 viewers, which is down 29% from the 2022 average for a 7 p.m. Eastern time. Worst of all, the show only had 44,000 viewers in the critical age range of 25 and 54, meaning the hour was 64% down of its normal average. In contrast, Trey Gowdy, and listen, I love Trey Gowdy. I I really do. Um, But I find his um, Sunday night program not the most engaging uh, news program on there, I, 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 but I, I truly do like Trey Gowdy. He's, he's uh, I mean, he's run circles around me. But uh, he has over 1.3 million viewers. Chris has uh, 400,000. And here's the interesting thing about this is, I, I really think that Chris Wallace, when he left Fox News, thought that you know these these poor people at Fox News, they're really going to miss me. You know, I've been keeping them afloat all this time. (laughs) I don't think so, Chris. I think you're, uh, I think you should have, I think you had pretty good over at Fox. You should have swallowed your pride and uh, just hung in there with them. But uh, new, not so. Columbia University students share an interesting um, position Columbia University shared mixed reactions to their college ranking. They are last out of 200, more than 200 universities, they are last for free speech on campus. Some of the students were rather confused and some were surprised. I think everyone here is open-minded, so I'm not really sure where that's coming from, one student said. However, Ariana, a senior at the Ivy League school, said... Of course, people think they can't say things. I think people think they might be judged by the majority. The Foundation for Individual Rights and Expression, or FIRE for short, ranked Columbia last in its third annual college free speech ranking, surveyed nearly 45,000 students from more than 200 colleges. The Ivy League University scored a 9.91 out of 100. That was the bottom. I'm surprised by the result, a senior told Fox News. I don't think that I've personally experienced or witnessed the suppression of free speech at Columbia. I think that there is definitely a homogeneous point of view at the school, but I don't think that opposing views are necessarily suppressed either, she continued. She added that hate speech should definitely be at least monitored. Well, there you go. (laughs) Numerous other students that Fox News spoke with had similar Considerations about Columbia's open minded and tolerant, but said hate speech should not be allowed. Hate speech, that's not good to be hearing, one girl said, but I think everything else, as long as it's like furthering ideas, that's good to talk about. Here's the problem Who is the arbiter of what is hate speech? That's the problem. I mean, what I think is hate speech? I mean, if so, if you got up there and you shared the biblical definition of of what a marriage ought to be, according to the scriptures. Would that be hate speech? Yes, it would. Fire researchers found that only 27% of Columbia students don't believe it's ever acceptable to shout down a speaker to silence them. Only 27%, which means 73% of Columbia students think it is fine to shout down a speaker. Maybe that's why you came in last when it comes to free speech. The fire studies found that 63% of surveyed students reported feeling worried or damaging their reputation based on someone else misunderstanding them. And 22% say they often self-censor. 63% of the students are worried that they're going to be misunderstood and that they're going to be considered part of the oppressors. This is unbelievable. We wonder why young people have such issues. Who's putting the pressure on them? It's not conservatives. It's not those people that are genuinely tolerant of ideas. And isn't it the irony is that the liberals are are always the ones telling us how tolerant they are. And how open they are. By the way, out of the 200-plus universities when it came to free speech, and again, these are sort of relative numbers, but North Carolina State came in number nine. UNC Charlotte came in number 13. UNC Chapel Hill, I'm floored at this, came in 26, which means, boy, that when you get down to the 200 level, it really must be bad. Duke came in at 109. Wake Forest came in at 131. ECU was not a part of the survey. So uh there you go. Gavin Newsom has been very vocal about his pro-abortion stance, undermining states that place restrictions on abortions. And of course he's out there bragging come to, you know, come to California and uh, we we are your abortion vacation destination. You want to get an abortion and we'll come on to California, and we'll take care of it. There's a new bill out that he has considered signing. It's AB 2223. It will change a California law in a way that radically undermines protections for newborns. And if signed, it will allow infanticide. It was introduced by a Assembly Member Buffy Wicks. And basically, it will make it perfectly legal for any reason to allow a newborn baby just to be ignored up to 28 days. And if it dies, nobody's responsible. There's no penalty if this bill is passed. This is in the state of California. And he wonders why everyone is leaving. Now, remember um, Ralph Northam up in in Virginia. At least he said if a baby is born, it would be up to the doctor and the mother to decide if the baby lives. Now, that's bad enough. Newsom is now going to sign this bill, AB 2223, that just says, hey, you know what? If you tire of the baby, just leave it alone. Let it die no questions asked. Look it up, folks. I know it sounds unbelievable. It is that is happening here in the United States. Pray for our country. We need it. We'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye, everybody. All right, all
1: right, all right.